Hello, I am Brian Fuller, creator of NBC's Hannibal, and you are listening to The Dinner Party Show with Eric Shawquin and Christopher Rice. I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. No, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, no, no. We're going no, no. to take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show's livecast for March 29th, 2015. And tonight we will not be talking about the fact that my cats are still at my house. Aww. That's right, at 6.30 a.m. on Friday morning, just a few minutes before we were all to depart for LAX, uh-huh. both cats decided there wasn't a furball's chance in hell they would remain inside the single carrier Southwest Airlines requires for in-cabin transport of domestic animals. Who saw that coming? Indeed. In light of the fact that this 11th hour refusal resulted in a fit of hysteria... Christopher's. ...that also consumed, also consumed, (laughs) their sleepless, soon-to-be-no-longer owner... Their travel plans were scrapped. A farewell Facebook post with over 1,000 likes was deleted. And All those likes. A tongue-in-cheek goodbye <laughs> recorded for tonight's episode of The Dinner Party Show was postponed until next week. Spoiler alert. Because this Wednesday, the Little Divas will be traveling in individual carriers by car to a new and loving home. Aww. Perhaps I'll also include a bucket of champagne and some caviar since they clearly hate flying coach. <laughs> just but, to be safe. Just to be safe. But until they're safely on their way, we're not talking about them again. Right. We don't want to jinx we it. We don't want to jinx it. No. <laughs> also, we are too confused 
to comment on Indiana's bigot-in-chief Governor Mike Pence, who this week signed a bill into law that legalizes right-to-refuse-service-style discrimination based on one's religious beliefs. Mm. The law is designed to codify discrimination against gay people since it's becoming clear that all the other unconstitutional shit they've tried isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. When Indiana and Everyone from sports league officials to top CEOs to people who just think bigotry is just so last millennium Mm -hmm. erupted into a firestorm of protests and denunciations. No longer presidential hopeful Pence said that he would never have signed the bill had he thought it would allow people to discriminate. (laughs) Since there is no problem with religious freedom in Indiana, the only purpose of the bill is to allow people to discriminate. Indeed. The only question seems to be, is Chief Executive Pence <laughs> a liar or a fuckwit? Mm. Or both? Either way, we can't believe this lying fuckwit is actually a worse governor than Arizona's finger-wagging Papers, Please Chief Executive Jan Brewer, who had the good sense not to sign a similar bill into law in her own state in the only not completely moronic action she has taken since she was sworn in. I like that debate. So all we right? <laughs> so all we have to say to Indiana's head bigot is congratulations, you're yes. not very excellency. We've long suspected it, but now it's official, Governor Pence. You suck, and not in a good way. Not at all. Not in a good way. Also not being discussed, any diehard Hoosiers out there (laughs) who are attempting to defend Indiana's track record by pointing to the one lone idiot, bigot, terrorist, psychopath, asshole in California who is attempting to put forth a kill the gays bill called the Sodomite Suppression Act. Jesus. It's a horrible, horrible act, but let's get something clear. If you're stupid enough to need a side-by-side comparison on why these two things are different, here goes. The Sodomite Suppression Act is a potential ballot initiative proposed by a single homicidal terrorist. Furthermore, the Attorney General of the State of California is currently working to prevent it from even being considered for inclusion on the ballot. Got that man some Thorazine. Furthermore, California's ballot proposal process is open to anyone with $200, the ability to write English, and who can acquire a number of voter signatures equal to 5% of the people who voted in the last gubernatorial election. That's a lot. Yeah, in other words, good fucking luck, psycho lawyer asshole. (laughs) Indiana's Right to Discriminate Act on the other hand, was just signed into law by the highest elected official in the state and lying fuckwit during a photo op where he was flanked by multiple religious leaders and other fuckwits. God would be so proud. Worse, the governor of Arkansas is scheduled to sign a similar bill into law this week. So if you think this compares with the Sodomite Suppression Act, I'm sorry to tell you a clearer example of a false equivalency cannot be found and false equivalencies are not talked about with any seriousness or respect on the dinner party show. That's correct. We have very strong policies about fallacious rhetorical <laughs> devices we sure here do. at the dinner party show. We do. Also, in response to the international headlines and ceaseless reporting that Zane has left One Direction, we'd like to point out that Lyle will not be continuing with the Los Angeles Gay Men's Chorus again this season because of work conflicts. Also, that actor on Empire, whose name you never knew and whose character name you don't remember, was killed in the last episode and will not be back next season. 
and the bag boy at Gelson's Market on Santa Monica Boulevard graduated from college and got a good job with an accounting firm. So Thursday was his last day bagging. Oh, no. Yeah, we were all very sad. We here at the Dinner Party Show just wanted to update you on a few other people whose names you never knew before who are leaving their current jobs. We thought that the former One Direction guy's name was Not Harry Styles. <laughs> and the only reason that we know that Not Harry Styles, Non Harry Styles group member Lewis or Louis's name is Lewis or Louis is that he's rumored to be Harry Styles' lover. Mm-hmm. We wish the singer, formerly known as Not Harry Styles Number 4, every success and an identity of his own. As for you at CNN and in the national news media, we think you should calm the fuck down. Mm-hmm. Also, we don't give a crap about Justin Bieber's roast tomorrow on Comedy Central so you can shut up about that too. As for everything else it's still on the table on tonight's live cast of the Dinner Party Show. I thought his name was Zion. You're listening to the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Enjoy the hors d'oeuvres but don't fill up. There's plenty more to come. (laughs) Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw And Shaw-Quinn. if there's one thing you want to hear from your co-host, 10 seconds before you come back live, it's, are, are we back right away? Yes. What do you want to talk about? Talk about. <laughs> well, I think we should talk about the fact that our guest is not here yet. Or is he here? Is Adam Robitel in the studio, Brandon Griffith? Or Elvis Presley. He has to turn around. He's here. Oh, Adam Robitel is here. He's in the building. This is what you get for having your close friends on your radio show is that they show up whenever right they fucking well whenever feel they like fucking it. feel like. Adam Robitel, director of the uh, much acclaimed and truly terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. The Taking of Deborah Logan, which I will, and we will talk about this later in the show when he's on. It's the only <laughs> We found, don't use it up. We don't want to use anything up. Don't make me tell that Oprah story again. Oh, God, don't not make that. Me anything tell but Kathy the Oprah Griffin's story. Oprah not story. the Oprah story. <laughs> Um, I don't like found footage horror films. I never have, but I like this one. And we'll talk about how or what he did that made it work for me. Because Adam's because it's really, really mostly about, about you. And Everybody drink. Absolutely. And I already said in the not report, we can't talk about the cat debacle on Friday. And that's really all I've been doing all weekend. Oh, is dealing God. With those and cats. so that was really a personal late birthday gift for me. Yeah. We, we do have complaints. <laughs> this is an interesting point. Something coming in on the on the um, on the Facebook page <laughs> from our party people. John Matson is asking if Adam can make the movie available in Australia. Apparently, uh, the taking of Deborah Logan is it's, not available on. Netflix. It's on Netflix, but it's not available on Netflix in Australia. How would that be? I don't know, and I will say this: How do you cause the internet not to be somewhere? This this speaks directly to my complete inability to understand what the internet actually is. Yeah, it's called in the first it's called geo blocking. You just, just block it in certain countries. Like we couldn't, we can't stream. In America, we can't stream programs off the ITV website. Isn't that the one of the big British television websites? They can't stream off of our network websites here. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I guess it's under a different agreement. I have an Amazon Fire TV, as do you. And there is a Sky News app where I can load it and watch a live feed of Sky News. But I guess Sky so News. If you is, care what's not going on here, you can. Tune I actually right in. think it's it's really weird that I like it. <laughs> it's morning in the UK when I'm going to bed here, which is usually late, it's like one in the in morning. The UK. It's, and I find their morning. Do you know news where your children to are? Be really refreshing. <laughs> and there's a there's the guy that got in all the trouble for sorting through the personal belongings of airplane crash victims, but he's very charming and he apologized and. And they're they're just a I'm lot sorry, calmer than sorting. Like, yeah, was he he alphabetizing. Was, he it? was what does on, that mean? and maybe one of our party people can can 
it's a, it was actually an awful story, but he was on the scene. <laughs> really? Of the, it's, no, it was one of the less cheerful airplane crash stories. Jesus. He was on Imagine the, that. He was on the scene of the, um, the Malaysian Airlines flight that had been shot down over the Ukraine with a missile. And he was oh, began literally handling, and he said he was so overwhelmed by everything he was seeing, and he starts handling a suitcase with belongings in it and realized as he was doing it, said on the air, I shouldn't be doing this. This is awful. And so he, he stopped doing it, but he had to issue a big apology, and I think... Um, you know, I don't know how we got started on this story or what it has to do. With I'm John sure the Madsen's dead people feel question. much better now. But it was, you know, he's, he's very charming when he's talking in the morning on the street to British people under a gray sky, which is how the Sky Morning News sort of feels to me because we live in relentless and sunlight. What, what here. are they thinking about the guy from that uh, Top Gear or whatever the fuck the, the car show that got I don't, 86 this week? I don't said, know. I follow the Twitter account of a young diver on Tom Daly's diving team, Jack Lauer, and uh -huh. he was not happy. He was not pleased. So, so he thinks that people should be allowed to verbally and physically abuse their producers. Oh, was, that, I'm was not, that part of it? I'm not actually opposed to that necessarily, like yeah. on principle, but it does seem like, and there's a whole, there was a list of things that they were saying had been complaints over the years, like using the N-word in the mm -hmm. eeny, meeny, miny, mo thing with, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a whole series of it. It was like, okay, wow. Well, um, you're, it reminds me, maybe that for Jack Lauer, this was like Ashton Kutcher's tweet when he hadn't heard the whole Penn State scandal. <laughs> And he was like, oh, my God, they fired Joe Paterno. What's wrong with them? <laughs> and they were like, at, his publicist was like, Ashton, give me all of your devices right now. Oh my God, have you seen The Royals? No. Oh, my God. It's this new, really trashy television show on E. Um, e. Which John Matson probably can't watch because he's in Australia. Or maybe, you know, that's all they have Let me on answer there. that question just real quickly. Let me round out that point. Artists can do nothing about this, John. I'm sorry to tell you. We can do nothing about this. It has to do with politics and, I'm gonna and international ask, laws. I'm going to put Adam on this spot when yeah, he gets on the, can, the air, I, I get complaints about but I was actually telling rights, a story. Yeah, okay, go ahead. But we didn't answer his question, and we were wandering off, and I don't know where you were going to end up or what No, it was. there's just a really funny device where the, the royal daughter – her Twitter account has been taken over because she's yeah. such a drunken tweeter that the um, <laughs> that there's a person in the PR department. She writes the post and then it goes up and then the it goes through the PR person and then you see the post. Is it actually, I love my mom. <laughs> That's Isn't this a great funny. country or That's whatever? Funny. And she tweets, you know, like, fuck her and fuck everybody else and ah, yeah, drugs yeah, yeah. and rock and roll. And right. I love mom. I love the queen. I Long love the live the queen. queen. Yes, the queen. It's, it's really sort of perfect. So maybe we need that sort of... Um, uh, Twitter device. Maybe so. I think I'm okay on Twitter Somebody now. Too. I've never had one of those Twitter moments well, of like, yeah, where did I because sit? Because you're not as you're not living in a complete bubble like Ashton Kutchner or yeah. people with. I think that's, because we're yeah. not that successful. We want to be successful enough to be completely detached. We want from everyone reality. to pile on us over every possibly <laughs> racist thing that we say. We want seven thousand hate tweets a minute. I oh, am going to yes, say this. That's what I'm dying for. This is I'm going to say this, and then we've got to go um, to a, a new reality show we're premiering tonight on the Dinner Party Show called uh, Surviving. That oh, should be interesting. I'm not a big fan of reality shows. Well, I think you're going to like this one. This is has a more political bent. <sighs> Before I say this, I'm just going to say this. If we stay on schedule, an exciting new component to the DinnerPartyShow.com may debut next week, and that's all I'm going to say. Dun, dun, dun. Exciting! It will be, of, I think, of particular interest to our 
party people. Teaserish. And that's all I'm going to say. All right, Adam Robitel from The Taking of Deborah Logan, or who directed The Taking of Deborah Logan. I don't know. Who if is Deborah Logan? Yeah, Deborah who Logan. Took Deborah Logan. And we'll also be joined by the lovely Kristen Proby, who is part of our A Thousand and One Dark Nights. The show is packed. Author Spotlight. There's so much to do tonight, but now we go to the premiere of our new reality series, Surviving. I'm your host, Breck Artery, and we're back with more of Surviving, the Iowa Caucuses edition. Ted and Rand have accepted the Pancake House Conservative Challenge, where two contestants try to save thinly veiled racist things to the diners without attracting the attention of media judges. It's a risky gambit, but the winner gets an immunity challenge in the Evolution Declaration round, where potential candidates have to stand on stage in front of cameras and declare out loud and for the record that they don't believe in evolution. Let's hear what candidate Rand had to say about this challenge. I really need immunity for the whole evolution challenge. I'm actually a doctor, so I'm worried that my medical degree might give the moron swing votes the impression that I accept modern scientific fact. On the one hand, if I go on the record as not believing in evolution, I risk losing the not complete moron vote. On the other hand, if I don't declare that despite overwhelming scientific data and the absence of a single shred of evidence of the existence of anything other than evolution, that I think fairy tales ought to be taught in science class as if they were a viable explanation of life on Earth, I can't win the batshit conservative lunatic vote I need for victory in Iowa. Why do we have to start in Iowa? And we're back at the only remaining Sambo's restaurant in North America, located just outside Tar Baby, Iowa, the seat of Wifebeater County. The restaurant will be the scene of our conservative challenge between Ted and Rand. The restaurant is filling up with conservative yahoos and ignorant pancake and institutional bigotry enthusiasts. But it's tricky because we have embedded liberals sprinkled throughout the crowd and linked directly to mainstream media outlets in other, less crazy areas of the country. Let's check in with Ted on this challenge. Well, I'll tell you, this is a tricky one. On the one hand, it's tempting to relax and talk like I'm in the men's only section of my country club back home. We all understand one another there and things that some people might consider racist or misogynistic or just downright insensitive, ignorant bloviation, what we all know is just free speech among people. And by that I mean men with shared values and backgrounds, which of course means white men. Now while I know the real Americans, which also means white men, who will be dining here at Sambo's this morning would totally understand that my anti-women, anti-immigrant, anti-minority slurs and innuendos are just free speech. Some of my best friends are women and minorities. 
They just can't join my club, or earn as much money as I do, or avail themselves of the same rights and legal protections and privileges I enjoy because the Constitution, our founding fathers, and Christian patriotism. Ted, aren't you a minority and an immigrant? That's a dirty lie and I had the records expunged to conceal my Canadian citizenship and family origins to prove it. But your last name has been legally changed to White Guy. Okay, Ted, good luck on the challenge. We're back, and Rand has been making his way through the restaurant hassling the breakfast crowd. In any state other than Iowa or Ohio, this would be considered rude, but all restaurants in these two states have roaming candidates year-round due to their unwarranted and artificially inflated importance owing to flaws and quirks in the primary system and the electoral college that cause presidential candidates to ignore the majority of Americans which skews conservative to pander to these unrepresentative flukes in the system. Let's see how Rand is getting along. Well, I couldn't agree more. I don't think the president really loves America either. (laughs) Yeah, boy, howdy. You said a mouthful. Girl, can we get some more coffee over here? That's code for, I still haven't gotten over the fact that the president is black either. Okay, let's follow Rand as he moves on to another table. Morning, ladies. My name is Rand, and I'm running for president. I just wanted to introduce myself and ask for your support in the upcoming caucuses. Well, nice to meet you. I'm Margie. This is my oldest friend, Gay. Margie, Gay, nice to meet you, too. Do you two young ladies have a moment or two to spare me? I'd like to hear what you think the biggest issues are in the upcoming presidential election. You're a charmer, you are. I'll have to watch out for you. You'll make me blush, Margie. Oh, hush. Just to be clear, we're talking about 2016 elections, right? Yes, of course. Well, this is Iowa, so you can never tell. That fellow over there at the counter is running in 2020. And just last week, we had our first 2024 candidate. Yes, he was still in law school at Harvard, but he said he wanted to get out ahead of the pack and start early. Well... I'm looking at a run in 2016 for now. Then I guess I'd have to say I think the big issue in 2016 is going to be immigration. I agree with you, Margie, and I feel strongly about the president's executive actions to force his agenda on the whole immigration issue. What's that you're having for breakfast there, Margie? Hmm. Nutmeg sautéed quinoa with steamed berries. That sounds delicious. Anyway, I'm sure you'd agree that the president's executive action didn't go far enough and we need comprehensive immigration reform, not just band-aid quick fixes. (laughs) I'm sure the readers at the Times will agree with you as well. a close one. Good spotting on that breakfast. No one in Iowa would eat quinoa at any time of day, 
let alone for breakfast. I knew she had to be from some trendy East Coast media capital. Well, it was a good save, but will it be enough to win Rand the Conservative Challenge and earn him the immunity he needs for the all-important evolution declaration round? When we come back, we'll check in with Ted to see how he's navigating this sea of reactionary diners. So the second guy says, a bridge in the desert? Why'd you have to tear it down? And the first guy says, cause we couldn't keep the <laughs> from fishing off <laughs> this. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Ted's going all in. It could be anybody's breakfast. And when we come back, Mike Huckabee's vicious, bloodthirsty, anti-abortion, anti-women's rights rally, or quaint town hall meeting. You decide. I believe that every life is sacred until the moment of birth, and then I could not care less if those little anchor babies have adequate food, clean water, health care, education, or even a cardboard box to sleep in because the deficit. All that and more when we return to Surviving the Iowa Caucuses Edition. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where the soup is hot, but the heads are hotter. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And it's time for another one of our 1001 Dark Nights author spotlights. We are joined at this hour by Kristen Proby, whose novella in the 1001 Dark Nights series came out this week. It's called Easy With You. It's a With Me in Seattle novella, and you can buy it currently through thedinnerpartyshow.com. Welcome to The Dinner Party Show, Kristen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so we want to start by by asking you, anyone who knows romance knows that there are about 24 different subgenres and subcategories, right? <laughs> and 10,000 right. of each of those. Yeah. So which one do you think Easy With You fits into? It's a romantic suspense. Okay. For sure, with ah. some sexiness thrown in. I like that. What's the suspense about? So there's a uh, serial killer in this book. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. That's suspenseful. <laughs> We, it's a whodunit, so we don't know till the very end. Okay, excellent. So, but this is also you have two different series that are. I think one is your you're with me in Seattle series is sort of wrapping up. Is that correct? And then you're launching another series that's set in New Orleans. And is this the kind of crossover between the two? Exactly. Yes. Excellent. Yes. The hero in this book is his name is Asher. He appears in my with me in Seattle series in the book Tied with Me as that hero's partner. He's a cop. Okay. And the heroine, she makes her first appearance in Easy Love, which is the first book in my Boudreaux series set in New Orleans. And uh, she is the heroine's best friend in the first book of that series. So Excellent. brought them together. So I think the long way we're getting around to saying is that while this is a part of the With Me in Seattle novella series, it takes place in New Orleans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Surprise! So you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> you you have been a big success in indie publishing. You recently did a few books with Simon and Schuster, and now you are back in the world of indie. Is that correct? That the the new series you're doing is is indie. Correct. 
Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Which means lower prices for all of us, which everybody gets very excited Ooh, yes. about. Yes. Lower prices and more control for me, which Absolutely. I enjoy. Absolutely. Cool. Yes. Cool. Content is king. All right. Well, we're going to subject you to our 1001 Dark Nights questionnaire. you can't say it like that. <laughs> hey. Congratulations. You've been selected to participate in our 1001 Dark Nights questionnaire. You could be a big winner. <laughs> we'll see. We'll awesome. see how she feels when we're done. All right. We're going to cue up our game show music here at the Dinner Party Show. Cue the game show band. All right, Kristen, here is your first question. Okay. You are dangling from a clock face by your bare hands over a 30-story drop. Who do you most want to come to your rescue? A vampire, a shifter, or a Navy SEAL? You know, I definitely don't want the shifter. I've been in this uh, weird Vampire Diaries, the original... um, Obsession, right. to be honest with you, for the past few weeks. So I'm going to go with the vampire. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are some vampires worth obsessing about in that particular little Oprah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Good right. choice. If he looks like Elijah, all the better. I'll take him. If Elijah, okay, now, now oh, Elijah yeah. may be good oh, looking, yeah. but do you think he's actually capable of rescuing you from a 30 story drop? He's a vampire. Oh, okay. Absolutely. They can fly. Right? I believe in him. And the, being one of the originals, he's incredibly powerful. Wow. All right, then. All right, cool. You know, Eric Shaw Quinn, I never let you ask any of these questions. Would you like to ask the next one? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, turn the oh. page back to where the ones actually there are. There you go. There you go. I was trying to cut you in, and now oh, I've caught you damn off guard. Okay, here we go. I, this is my first time asking questions, so be patient with me. Be gentle with me, Kristen. This is my first time. I'm very gentle, Eric. Okay. Uh, The man you're in a relationship with has left dirty dishes in the sink for the third time this week. Who would you most like to make him jealous with? A, a billionaire's CEO. B, a stud from a motorcycle gang. Or C, Bigfoot. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's no contest. I'm going to go with the billionaire CEO because... Hire me somebody to come in and take care of everything. You are a girl after my own heart. Yeah, and also I should point (laughs) out as the author of this question, I don't know if anybody's husband or boyfriend or partner would be all that jealous if they saw them outside with Bigfoot. I think they'd be like, "Ah, Bigfoot's here. They'd be horrified, though. There might be shooting involved. (laughs) I mean, maybe my man will jump in to protect me from Bigfoot. Yes. Right, that's what I thought. Like, it might think you were being attacked rather than being, you know, Jealousified. <laughs> also, maybe Bigfoot was bred genetically by a billionaire CEO who was hunting him because this tragedy has gotten loose. With the in assistance the woods. of a motorcycle. Yeah, and, and by being kidnapped by Bigfoot, you will be rescued and by the billionaire CEO. This is why we're writers. In a thousand and one dark this is why we're writers. Bigfoot's van- a billionaire motorcycle gang. <laughs> available next week. Excellent. Poor this Kristen. is all very complex. This is all very this, Kristen's like, this is more than I, I signed up for. I'm hanging up now. I'm hanging up now. Okay, <laughs> no, not before she answers the next question. Finish this sentence with one word, Kristen. Romance is? Uh, there you go. That's a great word. Um, <laughs> romance is, oh. <laughs> a lot of words. I don't know. I mean, we could go with beautiful. Romance is beautiful. Okay, romance. It is in my book. Okay. That's good, because it's not in every book. In, in a lot of books, sometimes it's angsty or it's... Or gray. Or gray. Fifty Shades, 50 of, shades gray, of Gray. Yeah. Darker. So darker, yeah. which is yeah. there are some dark moments in Fifty Shades of Gray. All right. True or false, in real life, there are no happy endings. False. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. I believe in happy endings. Yeah. From personal experience or from observation or just hope springs eternal? I, I'm just going to go with the hope springs eternal. <laughs> <laughs> right? I think that's the sensible answer. Excellent. I <laughs> hope right. all those Celine Dion songs are the truth. I know. Here's Hobie. Okay, we've reached the end of our quiz. Congratulations, you've survived. It's time to dig Ooh, deep I'm into sweating. our fishbowl. This is our fishbowl sound effect. This is the big effect. moment. And this, we're calling this the hero bowl right now. This is hero bowl sound effect. The bowl of heroes. Binders <laughs> and be- heroes. And because I believe you're currently single, if it's all right for me to say that, most of the people we've, we've done the hero bowl for have been married women, and they're not really keen on going on the radio to talk about who they get to spend a night with. In private is another story. <laughs> In private, but because you are single, Kristen, maybe you will be happy to learn that the Hero Bowl has delivered Jamie from Outlander. You get a night with Ooh. Jamie from Outlander. <laughs> and if you don't want that, can't accept it for any reason, I'll be happy to take that off your hands. <laughs> I bet. Oh, trust me, he's all mine. Oh, yeah. All mine, boys. Enjoy. Excellent. Well, Kristen, thank you very much for joining us here on the Dinner Party Show. It was lovely to have you. Thank you. It was lovely being here. And uh, congratulations on the release of your novella. And I, we are so happy. It's your first novella in the A Thousand One Dark Night series. And we are so happy to have you. It's easy with you. It's part of the With Me in Seattle novella series. Yeah, and it's available uh, at thedinnerpartyshow.com. And... and it's available exclusively on Amazon for 90 days. And then after those 90 days, it becomes available from other retailers that sell ebooks like iBooks, Barnes and Noble, Nook, and Kobo. But look it up on thedinnerpartyshow.com and uh, purchase it through that link. And not only does it help support Kristen, it helps support the Dinner Party Show. Thanks for joining us, Kristen. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. Good luck. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Let's dish. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. Ely Goulding shut down The (laughs) Dinner Party Show system there for a second. It's all that Fifty Shades of Grey soundtrack hotness. Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shockwood, and we have no idea what's going on here. Oh, oh, now the computer's back. Things are happening now. It's a maximum overdrive moment here on The Dinner Party Show. Welcome to Technical Difficulties with Christopher and Eric. See now, Adam Robitel. There's nothing you can do that'll be as awkward as that little moment I, we just I had. Brought here some the demon into the show. Welcome. Studio. They're rebooting the computer now. Don't look. It's yeah, terrifying, this is always we'll the fun fine. part when we have a computer problem because I have a screen next to me right now, party people, and it's also controlled by Brandon in our sound booth. So we'll be doing the show, and then everything on the screen will just completely go to shit. I can't believe you guys are rocking MS DOS. That's amazing. We are so rocking MS DOS. We got our apricot going over here. It is because Apple refuses to cooperate with other program designers. Oh, that's actually true. He says says on his iPhone and his iPad. Absolutely. Like, it's not like we wouldn't get them if they weren't such corporate shits and would actually allow other people's programs to run on their computers. We'd be using one, but they won't, so we can't. I think the moment where we gave in was we were trying to buy a show clock program. At some point, we'll talk about your movie, Adam. That's fine. I like talking about workflow. It's fine. Right. We workflow is here on the workflow podcast. <laughs> well, a wonky four-hour discussion of computer programs. <laughs> Next week, the Commodore computer, fairly maligned. <laughs> uh, we were trying to buy a program that would that would it was like a show scheduler, and it wasn't right. available for Mac. And like at that point, that was it. We weren't having them in the studio. But I do lost have, his shit. I lost my shit. No, I caved in because I knew what was coming from you. I knew I was going to cue another anti-Mac tirade from Eric Shaw Quinn. No, I lost my shit. That's actually the. 
story. He really um, did. He called me up. That's it. I've had it. We're going. We're going. And that was how we wound up with him. Wait, are, do you have a Apple computer now, Eric? Because I feel like you didn't. He, he, does he? Has he? one. He has okay. a laptop. So that's a huge But deal. it was a gift. My mother forced it on I have an okay. Apple laptop. No, she did not. I was delighted to have it. I don't dislike the computers. I just dislike their corporate policy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I get it. I wish they would play better with others. That's really the, that's it. That's my whole. They're beautiful. They're well designed. Segway alert. What did you edit the taking of Deborah Logan on? Apple computers? Or I did. PCs? Yeah, it was a Final Cut system and a, yeah. a Mac, Mac Pro tower. Yeah, so, and it, sure. shows. it shows. It shows, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very staccato and bad, bad editing. Still. No, you have the little Apple logo at the bottom right-hand corner of every shot in your movie. That's right? true. You yeah. can't get rid of it. You can't it's get rid of it. <laughs> because the, they like to own everything. The yeah. movie uh, was declared a, what, the rap called it a Netflix gem? Is that the title? Yeah, they, they, it could have been Cubic Zirconia for all we know. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, but it was called a, a gem by the rap. Well, so we haven't awesome. been called any kind of gem so far, so counter. <laughs> Actually, Vox, the new website, Vox, did a list of the most listened to po- or the podcast you have to listen to, and we are not on it. I just oh. thought that was breaking oh, news. Uh, glaring so, oversight. But I no, nobody I Vox know is, is on least it. likely to succeed list. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me, <laughs> I'm, I'm a storyteller. We're a room full of storytellers. Let me set the scene. So Eric basically bullied you into premiering your movie for a group of us at his apartment. Screening it. There was, a, there was an actual true. premiere. It was not, we didn't take anything away from the film, but no. I did. Adam had been, Adam and I put together a movie night at my house years ago that we still do periodically and people come by and we vote on what we're going to do and I say whether or not I can stand to watch that and then we do and yeah, absolutely. Um, and so Adam always picks Halloween, and so I called. I knew this film was coming out, and I called Adam and said, "Oh my God, would it be possible for us to actually screen Deborah Logan for Halloween movie night this year?" And, and we we had made it happen, and you made it happen. But there's always that anxiety and nervousness when you're sitting. Is it probably? I'm going to ask you this: Is it easier to screen the movie for a room full of your friends or for total strangers? In this case, neither, because I was still stinging from our first. Uh, test screening, which didn't go so well. Oh, and uh, so I had this weird, almost like I wanted to abandon the movie at that point. I was I hadn't really screened it with a crowd, and we it was before it sort of was unleashed in the world, and people started to discover it and really kind of. Right. I, I literally went through the full gamut of thinking like I'll never, I never want to watch this again, and then sitting down with you guys, and it started to play, and I uh, yeah, for me, I I don't like watching my stuff. I I'll I just I see every flaw having edited it as well. You know, I just it's just so that part of the process is always that's why I was very reluctant. You're like, oh, right. show the movie, and I'm like, I you know, I don't know that I'll ever enjoy that part of the process. Like and I know some directors who never watch their movies again. We but, loved it, and we it. loved it, and yeah. we went in thinking <laughs> we were so ready to be like, wow, Adam, you really worked hard. You know, like all those responses. Look at those, those great credits. Respo- look at those. Right. That was quite a house. That, that they font, that font you used. And yeah. I went in thinking, like, I don't like found footage horror movies. I'm not. I was not a Blair Witch fan, and I was not whatever. But you did things technically and structurally that got you around the limitations of that genre, and I thought made it work. You had an amazing cast as well. Just a. Yeah, I mean, I you know we've done a lot of interviews subsequently to the movie coming out and stuff, and there is a huge malaise to found footage horror, and mm-hmm. um, you know, for the the main one being you know validating why people are filming, right? Like, what's the reason right. these cameras are rolling? And what was most exciting for me was just starting in a very grounded place with a medical documentary, you know, really earning our way into this this house and this relationship between the mother and daughter, right? And, and, and why even they would be invested in why making they're the invested documentary. in yeah, it. It yeah, really, yeah, you know, it was no, it was very, they needed the money, they had you, a, a grant. This was all your 
your concept, right? You wrote this as well. Yeah, right? I, I wrote it with uh, Gavin Heffernan, who's my writing partner, and uh, it was an idea that I had had uh, years ago and, and couldn't quite crack. And uh, for me, it was just like taking you know something that's so scary, like Alzheimer's disease, and then turning it on its head. And um, I had a, an early clip of research that I showed Brian Singer, which showed a woman in mid-stage disease and she was you know she was writing letters to herself about how she was trying to keep her memories going and she literally like post-it notes on the mirror and and then it cut to her a year later and she was as white as this table you know mm-hmm. and she didn't recognize anyone in her immediate family she's going from fear to anger to, to to joy in like the spell of 10 seconds and i showed brian singer and i said i, I want to do this but i want to do a possession movie right you know and i could just see his because he loves all things medical and uh it just seemed like the right sort of blend of grounded and then sort of taking the the uh the screws off of the the ride you know as the movie on unfolds and it's like the 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 buy-in is that this idea that i found very compelling which is that a mental illness on the order of Alzheimer's, because that is what we call Alzheimer's, a mental illness, right? Even yeah. Even though it's sort of, I think you know, it's actually a disease. It's actually it's a disease. Of your brain, I mean, it so. literally degrades it's your brain It's a degenerative cells. disease. It's a degenerative yeah. disease. Yeah. So it's more than a mental illness. That it makes you vulnerable to possession. Yeah. Right? That's not giving away too much. No, no. I think that's that's exactly right. And, you know, we say in the movie, you know. It's the point of departure. Well, it's, it's for us, it was just we didn't want to do another Catholic sort of, you know, we've seen those movies a thousand times. We're right. trying to bring some I new really, language. I find those movies hysterically funny. I do, too. I, I, do think, too. They, I think that The Exorcist is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I literally <laughs> howled with laughter. <sighs> just, I, I have no buy-in. Like, I don't worship the devil, so it doesn't have any meaning for me. One so of the earliest. This was you ever hear Richard was, Pryor do the uh, "What if the Exorcist took place with the black family"? No. He's, like, he's like, "Get get the cross out, you pussy." <laughs> Sorry, I, can I say that on? Yeah, yes, you we are me. not. We are not an FCC regulated show. We okay. are. Yes, as a matter of fact, one internet. of our party people called Christopher "pussy whipped" for wow, for yes, getting pushed around by his she cats. She was talking about my cats, which we included in the not report, so we're not talking about my cats anymore. Okay, no, no but we're talking about you thing. being pussy whipped. That's yeah, what we are. we're talking about. Absolutely. Speaking of that party person, we actually. I actually have a question from her for you, Adam Robitel, on the party line. Okay. Let's see what she had to say. Oh, hi. It's Tamiko Salson. So, yeah, I saw the taking of Deborah Logan. It's on Netflix right now. It starts out, like, kind of slow, and you get lulled into this sense that nothing is going to happen. And then you're like, oh, whoa, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so it kind of, like, jumps out at you like right? that. So um wanted to know... If uh, Mr. Robitel could uh, tell us about how do you decide how long to let people think that they're going to be safe before pulling that kind of thing on them. Okay, bye. That's a great question. You know, now that I'm sort of jumping into screenwriting full full bore, you know, the the first acts in these movies are just there's so much pressure on you to have just super truncated first acts. Like mm-hmm. get into it, get into it. And and this movie actually had a lot more sort of the first act what did get edited down quite a bit, but we wanted to slowly there were, you know, we had gone back and forth to opening maybe with her later in the movie where she's like bloodied and scary looking and post sort of all the trauma. And uh, it just we ultimately went back to which I'm so thankful we did, which is just a bit of a slow burn, you know, because for me and something I realized in retrospect, so much of it is context. We've yeah. seen so many horrific images with the with the fingertips. I can go and, 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 and see ISIS videos of people being mm-hmm. burned alive. So it's not about the image itself anymore. It's about the context, you know, yeah. and if you can slowly let them sort of believe in the world enough. And so, you know, by, you know, I, I think the uh, Ed Sanchez, or one of the one of the Blair Witch writers wrote on Facebook, I'm liking Deborah Logan, but I think they jumped the shark 50 
15 minutes in and it, he's referencing her first big sort of scary moment where she peels her neck you know she scratches her at her neck and that's a bit of a foreshadow for later uh, uh, I don't want to give things away but it, there's a deep reason in the mythology for why she does this and you know, they movies are math, and so you need yeah. to hit those beats. You need to give them that act turn. You need the inciting incident. I mean, unfortunately, with people are expecting every every ten minutes for a jump, and with horror, it's very metronomic. You need the jump scares. They usually come in twos. You set the stage. A minute later, people are tense. You get a first jump, and then you set a second jump. So. With found footage, I didn't have a great, you know, Bernard Herrmann score either. So to answer your question long-windedly, uh, um, it was very it was very strategic that we slowly sort of bled into. We wanted to start with a, a grounded medical documentary, give her some, some medical uh, information about Alzheimer's, and then we then settle into the house and settle into the creeks. And, and the characters, too. We yeah. settled into the characters. I actually cared about her daughter. Her daughter wasn't some hysterical, one-dimensional and rack. And we got which to see her usually, yeah. before the sort of before yeah. picture. I, yeah, I, I really prefer that kind of storytelling. I mean, if you want to turn me off to anything... Show me something and then put up the font that says one, two, four hours, hours earlier, earlier. five days earlier or whatever. And I'm done. Yeah. Like, th- so you've showed me the ending and now you want to tell me how we get to the ending. Like, I don't need to see that anymore. Well, now they're sort of cheating it. They're showing you like the midpoint or the first, which I actually did in a novel and then flashing back <laughs> a few hours or a few days. But it's still it is. It comes out of that anxiety and insecurity that, yeah. oh, I'm not going to get them unless I blow something up in their face in it's the first so five minutes. No, I'm not saying that and there's I, not a good reason for doing that kind yeah. of storytelling but most people just do it so that you have the closing number at the I don't beginning actually, of the show so that everybody's dancing before the I, it's like, I agree tell with me you. a story I, I don't it's think it's true. a good reason I don't think that anxiety is a good reason I think that's that's that comes from um, um, underestimating the audience in most parts I, I, I think that right. you're right I agree with you and I think that um, I, the thing that I like so much about the movie was that all of the all of the characters were introduced. There's a sense with horror, right, that we're coming out of the torture porn days, yeah, where characters were simply introduced to be unlikable because they were going to be torn to pieces, right. And that doesn't happen with this movie. Like I was, I was steeled for it when we started watching it. Like, oh, she's going to be a bitch, so we're going to want to see her get a knife through the eye, you know. But there's much more going on. Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. You're absolutely right with the Friday the Thirteenth of it all, and and you know the, and the hostels the, 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 and the, the hostels. Yeah. They are the characters are dispensable, and in a weird psychological way, it makes you root for the villain in a way. And that's that's very strategic when they did all those Friday movies and stuff. You want to root for Jason and this sort yeah. of vengeance. But horror is scarier if you care about the family. Absolutely, and, 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 and I really liked her, and the actress did a. Real Jill, right? Did oh, she, Jill, just yeah, Jill Larson and Anne Ramsey were just a gift. I mean, I, they are so they are incapable of a false note. And uh, Jill, Jill just was a tour de force, and she was she was willing to do anything. You know, get naked, Jill. Okay, rub yourself. Okay, where? You know, it was just like <laughs> and. and, and um, uh, just completely I love fearless. Your Jill and, voice. And, 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 thank you. Uh, um, Jill is possessing him. In but you moment. know, what was the most interesting is that Alzheimer's is really—it's never about one person. That was something that I heard from the research. Somebody, one of the doctors, had said that. And it's really—it's always a two-hander. It's—it's, it's, you know, the the person who's sort of vanishing before your very eyes, but it's also the caregiver, and it becomes much more painful and traumatic for the caregiver later in life. And I thought that was just really fascinating. And, and the core of there, Sarah and and. Um, and uh, Deb's relationship is this idea that Sarah was not accepted by her mother because that you know she liked girls when she you know and, yeah. and she and she held this sort of 
uh, resentment towards her mother this whole time. And sort of through the course of the movie, you realize that's not necessarily true. And right. so it, it, we really wanted to paint multidimensional characters. Uh, you did a beautiful job. Absolutely. And we're going to be back with more with Adam Robitel on and his exciting horror Exciting details of his upcoming the projects. The taking of Deborah Logan and exciting details of his upcoming projects after these promos. Tired of dining alone? Enjoy the dinner party show with friends. Like us on Facebook and become one of our party people. Then, during our live shows on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, you can join the conversation and post questions for Christopher, Eric, and their guests. During the week, drop in for tasty side dishes, show updates, and fun with the other party people. The Dinner Party Show. You are the life of our party. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and on behalf of everyone here at The Dinner Party Show, I'd like to congratulate my co-host Christopher Rice on the publication of his first full-length erotic romance novel, The Surrender Gate. It's the latest installment in his brand new series, The Desire Exchange, which began with his novella, The Flame, last year. Both books are now on sale at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and if you buy them there, a portion of your sale supports the operation of this show. Congratulations, Christopher, and happy reading, everyone. Sounds like you might want to read this one alone. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where dessert is the most important meal of the day. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm still Christopher Rice. And I'm still Eric Shaw Quinn, and I just wanted to say... Quickly, before we got into other topics, when Adam was going to screen Deborah Logan at the house, I actually didn't have any doubts. I've seen your work um, over the years. I've actually worked. You've directed me before. And I didn't have any doubts well, about what I was getting ready to see. Well, let's tell people I, about that experience. <laughs> Where can they see Eric Shaw Quinn in an Adam Robitel picture? Your Actually, I'll ability. have to post that on your website. Is it available I, anywhere? It was a, it's um, a corporate... It's an, it's an instructional video on customer service with uh, starring John O'Hurley, who played Peterman on Seinfeld, and Eric played difficult customer. Yes. <laughs> what a stretch. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he was amazing. He was amazing. amazing. But, but, you know, the point is I've seen your work even on simple projects. That's very your kind ability of you. to you. edit your ability to see the image, to tell a story with pictures, I, I think is really, you're a remarkably talented man and I actually didn't have any doubts. That's incredible. I wasn't thinking that I was going to say you. what great costumes. I knew that I was going to see a great Yeah, fine. Picture. So I'm the one who had doubts. Oh, well, Chris was an asshole. <laughs> so what are you going to do? You jaded, cynical <laughs> bastard. Let's see no, if he's I just up wanted to that my on level. The record. No, I've never made a movie. It's I, you know we can yeah. be glib with that, but honestly, I know what a talented. But you man never you are, know. So I, I had really... an experience. I had an experience, and I'm going to leave all the names out of this story. Where a friend screened his film for a group of his friends in an apartment, and when it was over, one of us, not me, turned to him and said. Yeah, I just didn't get it. <laughs> and it was like the air Ouch. had Ouch. been sucked out of the room. Yeah. And oh, I don't no. think they ever spoke again, these two people. I've uh, had that experience. Like, I've had that experience with Adam. That. We saw somebody else's screening where somebody went off on the director afterwards and it was like, okay, we're going to jump out the window <laughs> because it's nearer than the door. You know what door? I usually do in those situations is I, I just try to get out of there quick. Yeah. You know, just, I got to go. Awesome work. You know, bam. Great. And was, you don't have to do you this. You made it from beginning to end. You yeah. made a whole movie. It had yeah. a This woman was on some trumped-up, successful, flash-in-the-pan reality show, and she 
did a, I mean, she'd literally been taking, she had maybe eight pages of notes on a one-hour documentary that this guy had shot that we screened in somebody's living room. And she started in, and I literally thought I was going to jump out the window. Adam and I were like going, oh my God, wow. what are we doing here? It's, again, it depends Run. on the context, because if they genuinely want like everybody to throw notes at them, like then that's warranted. But they'll but it, say it, that. But they'll say that. You yeah. know, if it's a final cut, and the, you know, you're... I, you're it's, I, yeah, I mean, it's like when somebody sends she was, you... She had written a paper recut of the whole thing. I mean, oh. it was really like she was it was very presumptuous like i think he was open to our input but jesus christ eight pages of notes my god so she was taking notes while you guys were watching apparently so i was who is this woman let's tell all our party people to find her twitter account and pile on i don't really know who she is i'd never (laughs) seen her before and since the reality show was is long gone and you've never watched a reality show in your life except for kept yeah, and I Man watched Kept, he lives one. Kept yeah. and Manhunt, I actually did watch. Those were great reality Adam, shows. Adam, we want to ask you what some of your favorite horror movies are. Uh, it's such a loaded question. I mean, I you know, one of the movies that I... <laughs> because whoever you say, the people you don't mention will hate you. No, I mean, I, I, I'm i not a typical horror guy in a way. I don't like torture porn. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know all... I don't see every horror movie. I mean, I, I there was a movie called Session 9, which I loved, which uh, Brad Anderson directed, only because it was set in the Danvers Insane Asylum, which was right up the street from where I grew up. And <laughs> they... That, that explains so they much. They built yeah. the entire narrative around the location. So they got their, you know, and started writing the script based on the wings and the sort of the, you know, just the gothic monstrosity of a building. And, and it was just a really interesting way to make a movie at that level of budget. And it was the first film, I think, to be shot, and I could be wrong, uh, full HD digitally. Oh. Um, and uh, it was a USA film. So it was sort of like a flash in the pan. And there's just something so, it's a very Shining-esque kind of like murder mystery. And the atmosphere, the mm. performance is just really well Seems done. Like I may have seen it. Um, and I tell everybody to see that. Uh, and I also listen and it's to It's called Session Nine. Session Nine, okay. yeah. And it, it just, uh, you know, not for everybody, but I, and it had a great score. These guys, um, Climax Golden Twins, who do all these weird analog musical scores where they mm-hmm. take like old, like, you know, rustic pieces of machinery and make sounds and tonal wow. tonalscapes out of them. And so I like the use of sound in your movie, and I'm glad you didn't have a score to really take away from it because I'm not going to give too much away. But there's a there's a literal device in the house that starts to become involved in what's going on, and it was terrifying. It's like a torment. I, I think noises can be some of the scariest things, particularly when you don't know the origin. Yeah. Like My parents say that they used to draw the drapes, and I would explode into tears as a little baby. But wow. Yeah. It was, really, it was just kind of too drapes much caffeine. Were they? <laughs> I don't know what kind of drapes. Yeah, they'd given me too much espresso, espresso in my <laughs> bottle. They wanted me to start with that poetry early. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it was the cigarettes and espresso, I think. But, yeah, but I mean, sound is, uh, is, is so much a part of a horror film it's 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 more in some ways way more important than the visual in a way because the you know you 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 think about the exorcist which made eric laugh but you know for other people it didn't and, but a lot I of know, it was the soundscape freaked you know. out by that movie. and i did have a score by the way i had very it was atmospheric and tonal but parents were freaked out by that movie parents were freaked out by the yeah. movie and i think there's often been a divide there's horror for teenagers which is about you're going to get murdered if you fuck right right, right. and then there's family horror which which is they're coming the, for the children the modern modern haunted house thing is usually about your children are going to be taken from you by a force and I've never really felt like I fit into any of those camps so I don't with the one exception of Mama which I thought was actually a thriller and was really great and had a very gutsy ending for a studio movie 
but yeah, it is. It's it's like the parent horror, which is The Exorcist. So and it's, by the way, I have to I have, I have, to have an admission yeah. to make, which is you know, I know Jack Morris who will be here next week, I believe. But uh, I, there was a re-release screening of The Exorcist at the Man's Chinese. Yes, I was drunk. It was like it was like <laughs> very late at night, and I was incredibly drunk and I started laughing guffawing and you yes. know how you know discreet my laugh I is. know this story yeah. and, I yeah, know that before I knew you I had asked Jack <laughs> was... what's up with this Adam guy he wants to make movies whatever he said you know and he said well he laughed all the way through the exorcist <laughs> he was like so it was upset. like it was like I didn't you, had, to... you had shit all over his sacred cow right Jack didn't oh, talk God, to me for Jack at least a year I'll hear about that oh, next week I didn't he didn't speak to me for at least a year I got voted off the island so <laughs> yeah. now you but have... it is a funny movie there is moments that are oh my just God. absurd When now, she like... throws up on that priest, I yeah. just absolutely have to get up, especially when they follow it up with the two of them in the basement washing his whatever. His stole. Yeah. yeah. You also have to remember that when people originally saw The Exorcist in the theaters, that was the time in the history of our country when most people were stoned. Right. So I think that really affected their like, what is she going to do now, man? Right. <laughs> He's going out the that window. That's your impression of history. Yeah, that's really it is. Great. There's a stone period and the non-period. All right, Adam Robitel, it has been wonderful to have you. Oh, it's been We're great almost be... out of time, if well, you can believe it. So the next project is? Uh, I'm going to direct a film called The Benders, based on the Bloody Benders of Kansas. And uh, it's uh, based on a true story of a family of serial killers. And, and you're geek. writing it? And Benicio I wrote, Del Toro I wrote, uh, is? Uh, Guillermo, Guillermo Del Toro. Del Toro. <laughs> Told you this Benicio, a million times. Benicio, Benicio's not available. He's playing Wolfman. Uh, Benicio but, uh, never keep it, it, that The Wolfman takes Manhattan, which yeah, is going straight to video. Guillermo del Toro is producing <laughs> yeah. and presenting it, and I'm incredibly excited. He and, of you know. Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim and Crimson yeah. Peak is going to so, be his Crimson next Peak, directorial yeah. movie. And uh, Taking of Deborah Logan, Logan is available now. At thedinnerpartyshow.com. People can link through on the Amazon link, and they will support the Dinner Party Show if they and do. And Adam. It's also available on uh, Netflix. It's on Netflix streaming right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Adam Robitel, thank you so much for joining us thank tonight you guys. on the Dinner Party Show. It was great to have you. Our party people apparently have crushes on you, including Sharon Haas and others. <laughs> and Amy Bellino and other party people are happy that Brandon Griffith made a cameo appearance in the Instagram photo I just posted All right, a few Brandon. minutes ago. Uh, join us next week when Jack Morrissey will be here, and we will hopefully be debuting an exciting new component to the dinner. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. In the meantime, oh I will remain Christopher Rice. And I will always be Eric Shaw Quinn. And you will have been listening to the Dinner Party Show. Good night. Thanks. I've been to a marvelous party.